Welcome everyone to Faces and Feels. I am your host, Rafe Houston, and today I am joined by a very special guest. He is the sniper of the skies. He is Robbie Eagles. How are you today, sir? I'm great, Raf. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, it's been a long time coming for us to get together and talk like this. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for making the time. Uh, it was uh, me reaching out out of nowhere, and I appreciate you responding, dude. It's been something I've been wanting to do for ages. Well, I'm just a normal person like you or anyone else. Uh, I just get to put on some shiny tights and do the wrestle every now and then. And you do it very well, sir, if I do say so. so. Thank you for the compliment. <laughs> no worries, man. So uh, there's obviously your, your history is really well documented. Uh, I would recommend everybody check out any Robbie Eagles interview. He's a very entertaining man. Uh, I thought I'd bring you in and we'd talk about uh, some of our sort of similarities and interests in that we've both kind of toured quite a bit in Japan. Obviously, you doing the wrestles and me doing the drinking. Um, <laughs> I thought that might be fun, man. But to, to start that off, I think probably the first question is, what was your very first like exposure to New Japan Pro Wrestling? My first exposure to New Japan was, oh man, had to be, I would have been, uh, I'd say in high school, um, very early on. So early 2000s, I'm still like a very young teenager. And uh, a friend of mine that I met through high school, because there was kind of like my high school um, was in the middle of like three different primary schools from three different like connecting suburbs and areas. So it was basically like a convergence of like three different uh, primary schools coming together for this high school. So it was like all these different friend groups. So I was meeting people that I lived near but never met before for the first time. And I found out this dude liked wrestling. And I was like, what? You like wrestling? I thought I was like the only wrestling guy kind of. Um, I mean, everyone knew Goldberg and Stone Cold and all those guys. But I already kind of knew of like the independents and uh, Amazing Red and Low Key. You were like into so it, this guy, into it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So this guy, he had... He had the best internet out of anyone at high school at the time. <laughs> yeah, nice. He had the best computer at the time. Um, so I'd go to his house and he'd be like, hey, watch this. And he'd show me like random Japanese wrestling. And we watched, I'm pretty sure it was Hayabusa and Jushin Thunder Liger from one of the Super J Cups in the mid-90s. Wow. And I was like, what the heck is this? Yeah. That is. So that was kind of my first introduction to it. That must have been like, uh, seeing Jushin Thunder Liger is what, kind of got my friends into watching New Japan with me kind of thing. So we we had travelled to Japan before, and then I was like, do you guys want to, like, come and see New Japan? We could book a ticket. It'll be fun. We'll go to, like, a Karakun Hall show. And they're like, what is it? And I, like, just straight up went, well, it's got guys like this and showed them a picture of Jushin Thunder Liger, and they're like, oh, yeah, we're in. <laughs> like, <laughs> this looks sick. And then uh, it, it went on to kind of become an obsession for a bunch of us, you know. Um how, so how's that feel when you, you start going and, and seeing that stuff? You've obviously been exposed to Rey Mysterio and psychosis and things like that, but then I guess the Japan stuff sort of next level when it comes to physicality and things like that. Yeah, it, it definitely was. And you're spot on because I was a WCW kid growing up and then it wasn't until later on into my wrestling fandom, like a couple years in, uh, that someone tape traded me a WWF uh, pay-per-view and then I was like, oh, cool, like this is totally different, but they don't have the cruiserweights, which is what I was mostly a fan of mm -hmm. because my connection was, here's Rey Mysterio, 
his psychosis, it literally looks like Spider-Man versus one of the villains from the comics that I was already reading as yeah, a kid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or it looked like Power Rangers. Yeah. They just, the villain didn't grow like 20 sizes at the end of the episode kind of thing. Um, so that was my kind of like initial fandom to it. Um, so seeing Hayabusa and Jushin Thunder Liger and then going further down the rabbit hole and like, like I mentioned, I had already discovered, it was a weird way because there was a period of time in Australia where SmackDown was no longer on Foxtel, but we got old reruns of the TNA Weekly pay-per-views instead mm. for free on Fox 8. Yep. So that's how I discovered guys like AJ Styles and Low Key and Amazing Red and the SATs. And then all it took was like go on a search engine, find them, and then I was watching Low Key versus AJ Styles in Japan and like Amazing Red abroad for all Japan and like all this like random obscure stuff. Um yeah, it was pretty surreal seeing that style because they're so influenced by martial arts in Japan, as Japanese culture probably is, even just from a dis- disciplinary side of things. Um, so, yeah, the hard-hitting aspect. And just I think they had less, like, tethers and chains that held them back on stuff because they had a bit more freedom from probably their, their TV producers and stuff like that. Like, they had a lot more freedom to just entertain however they did best. So, yeah, it was, it was really eye-opening for me, and that was me going, that's what I want to do, and I was probably 12 or 13 years old. Yeah. And from 6, 7, I was already drawing myself as, like, you know, uh, Hulk Hogan or Sting, but it was me, or later on it would be RVD, and people were like, you're still doing that? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> They're like, oh, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a firefighter. I'm like, I'm going to be a pro wrestler. Like, I'm, I'm like, growing in a handlebar mustache, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wish I could. What you're seeing through our recording right now, people can't see it because this is an audio uh, podcast, but this is about a month's worth of growth, man. So, like, okay. I, I don't grow facial hair very well. I don't remember the last time I didn't have facial hair. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what this looks like below the nose anymore. This is just <laughs> how I am now, I guess. Just me with glasses. Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, from there, we we fast forward a little bit. How does it feel then when you're you're looking at, like, the opportunity to maybe work with a New Japan? Like, when you started training, was was that always a goal? It would have always been a goal you wanted to hit, right? Like, what an amazing like opportunity to go and work with them. 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my goal, because I was watching Best of the Super Juniors every year that it would come like come through, like uh, as much as I could, because mm-hmm. the access before New Japan World wasn't as easy to get a hold of these shows, but there was definitely ways through the internet that you could see some of the stuff, right? Like at least highlights or full matches would pop up here or there. So, you know... Being a fan of independent wrestling and using that as like a study guide for my pro wrestling career, like I wanted to make sure I knew what was happening basically everywhere because you've got to stay up to date with that stuff. Mm-hmm. But then I'd also stay tuned to everything else that was important happening around the world, your Ring of Honors, your Impacts, your um, your New Japans, your basically any, every anything and everything else. And uh, I actually first uh, did a tour of Japan in 2012 because I was able to win a a tryout um, for Zero One that was held by the company that's now Wrestle Rampage in Adelaide. Okay. Uh, at the time, they were they've gone through many different names. This company because they've had different affiliations. So at one point, they were NWA Adelaide, oh. and then they started shifting over towards the connection that they had with Zero One in Japan because Hartley Jackson was wrestling over there frequently. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. Um, so they ended up becoming Zero One Australia. And during that shift of time, I went over and did a couple of shows in Adelaide, and they held a tryout for someone to basically get like a um, like a scholarship, a three month tour of training and wrestling for Zero One in Amazing. Japan. And mm-hmm. I won that. So yeah, wow. Yeah, I lived in Japan for three months oh, um, at, at the Zero One Dojo housing. Um, and so that was my first experience with it. But then shifting that to New Japan, it's a whole different ball game because y- you're basically going from something more similar to what I experienced at home being independent wrestling to then working for, you know, a, a billion dollar, a, mo- a million dollar company um, that's pretty highly regarded in that country as the top wrestling product. So, yeah, it was like a very big change to go from one to the other. But, yeah, I dipped my toes in the water a little bit and got a feel for it, and then it was just kind of like take some of that experience but also open my mind to what this new experience is going to be. And I tell you what, being on the New Japan tour buses, I ain't going to trade that for anything. Yeah, wow, man. that That's like literally crazy. And was that one of your first – travel experiences like as a young wrestler and a, as a young Robbie Eagles even like going and living in the Zero One Dojo? Yeah, yeah, it was wow. one of the first. The only other one I did before that was I went to the US in 2011 and I uh, did two weeks where I trained. I, I stayed in New York and I trained at House of Glory, which is Amazing Red's uh, training school. I also trained at Chikara Pro's uh, Wrestle Factory and I wrestled for Chikara Pro in the Young Lions Cup. Um, so that was like a big thing for me because PWA at the time had like a really strong connection with Chikara Pro. Mm-hmm. A lot of our guys would come and go and do tours over there. So, uh, yeah, I just made that connection, did that. But that was, a, that was a whole debacle in itself because I had been set up by my coaches to, um, to go stay with someone in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And then about a week before, so I booked my tickets, right? Like a week before, I get told, oh, you can't stay with him. He's going to be in Europe for a tour. Oh, no. And I go, okay, well, I'm leaving in a week. Where do I stay? And my coaches go, nah, I don't know. And I'm like, <laughs> what? shit. Uh, so I had, I had a place to stay in New York for one night. And then one of like one of the wrestlers was like, I can only put you up for one night. i got to go to work, blah, blah, blah. Luckily enough, uh, my tag team partner here in Australia, Matt Diamond, he knew someone who had just moved to New York. And he... Uh, I had met her before in our past, and um, she was kind enough to put me up on her floor for two weeks in New York in her small apartment, and wow. uh, I was saved graciously within like 24 hours of flying over there, so I landed that spot very quickly. And predecessor to all of that as well, just to let you know how stressful this whole time was, about a month or two before this trip, after I had booked the flights, uh, I lost my day job, which was funding all of this. Oh, so, no. As a, as a struggling independent wrestler, it was all looking pretty bleak uh, yeah. right before. And I can't imagine that accommodation in New York City is a cheap prospect at all. No, I was really hanging on. Like, I, the budget I had did not include me paying for any accommodation. So I was really hanging on for, like, you know, friends and people in the industry to, like, help a little Australian boy out. And um, luckily enough, I, I landed something that helped me out. But, yeah, so that was that was my first experience. Mm-hmm. And then the dojo for Zero One was the second one. Mm-hmm. And so go from two weeks in the U.S., an English-speaking country, mm-hmm. to three months in Japan. I had never been to a non-English-speaking country at that point. Um uh, I lied, but I mean, realistically, that was yeah. the first time as an adult. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it was it was surreal, man. Like it was crazy, and 
you know, Wi-Fi and, and, and coverage over there was a lot different at the time. Um, I'd have to, like, look up a map to, for directions and try and remember it to get to places because it was a whole big struggle to, like, do all that. And, um, yeah, <laughs> I look back at that and almost have a little PTSD for some moments. But <laughs> generally speaking, it was a pretty good time and it shapes part of the wrestler that I am today. Yeah. And I met a lot of people that are off doing great things now in places like WWE and other parts of Japan and other parts of the world. So it's pretty it's pretty cool to look at the alumni that came from that dojo class I was a part of. Yeah, and I imagine as well that's like uh, a really good stepping stone for what would come for your future, not only in like uh, being kind of acclimatized to the way things work in Japan, even just getting around it, which is a completely different thing to Western culture, but then also how Japanese companies work and the respect and all those kind of things that, that need to go in it, you know? And then when they're looking at potential prospects, they're looking at a guy who's already got a resume, who has worked with a company that's, you know, well thought of in Japan, um, and that's only going to help your kind of future prospects. Yeah, you're, you're spot on. Yeah. And uh, having a coach... My coach in Zero One was uh, Ikuto Hidaka, who's such an underrated wrestler still to this day in the sense of, like, all of pro wrestling. He is the reason that there are people like the Motor City Machine Guns because they did tours with Zero One and Alex Shelley and Chris Saban took inspiration from Hidaka prior to them even getting there. Then they got to, like, train and wrestle with him. So their style is formatted from what he basically influenced them on. And, yeah. uh, you know... Hidaka had matches with guys like Amazing Red, who was an inspiration for me and, you know, someone that I call a, a friend now and a coach. Um, so it's very cool to have all those connecting tissues together. Like, I feel like all these experiences I've had for those sort of training elements and meeting those people and being related to some of those people, if you connect all the tissues and fiber together, I make this pretty, like, solid foundation of a wrestler. Mm. Um, so I'm very lucky and fortunate. I almost feel a bit bionic at times. It's it's really nice, isn't it, that the world can actually be a very, very small place. Oh, uh, man, incredibly <laughs> small. Yeah, exactly. Um, I won't leave Zero One just yet because it has a little bit of significance to me as well. So when we uh, went to our first Wrestle Kingdom, we had only planned to go to that one show, which would have been Wrestle Kingdom 12, I think. Right. And um, – and we had kind of posted online like, oh, yeah, the dome, you know, photos or whatever. And our friend here, Sally, was like, oh, you should go check out Zero One. My brother Chris Vice is wrestling for them <laughs> at the moment. And we've seen Chris Vice, you know, EPW and stuff but, and things like that. And we knew he was over there but knew nothing about it. And anyway, she goes, yeah, it's on this date. So we just rocked up to the Curricorn Hall kind of thing. Hey, Zero One, you know, they've got all the little tickets at the booth. Anybody that's been to the Dome, you walk over the big bridge and you walk along past all the supermarkets and stuff and down to the little ticket office where you can go into Karakuen Hall. And we go, yeah, two for that, um, whatever. And we go in that night and see Zero One for the first time, yeah? Knew nothing about it in any way. Yeah. Amazing. Had a great time. But what that also led to was us getting past uh, flyers for stuff like Big Japan and uh, Freedoms and all these things. And then it was like, do you want to go see this 100 light tube death match like, tomorrow night or whatever, <laughs> like on a whim? And then rocked in to see that. And kind of the, the rest is history as far as like our overall then exposure to Japanese wrestling, you know? So yeah. 
for me, the bubble was only New Japan, like until that day when I just rocked into a New Japan show. And because all those independents work so close together and all the guys wrestle through the things, they're always like handing out stuff and recommending stuff and things like that. It was like a really uh, amazing event for us to attend for the first time. And that's cool that it was Vice that was the the reason that you kind of got hooked yeah. up with that mm-hmm. because he's he's the man. And, um, you know, it's really cool to see him flourish in a place that I also started in. So yeah. there's like so many Aussies have gone through Zero One and like it's really cool to see the great things that he does. And, you know, he and I catch up whenever I'm back in Japan um, as much as our schedules allow. So, yeah, it's that, that's awesome that he was the main reason that you went and then that opened your eyes to everything else. Yeah, it, it was great, man. Um it's, it's funny to think about you um, training there and getting around Japan without current technology. So for us, when we travel Japan, it is very easy. We book everything ourselves. You can put it in Google Maps and go, we want to go to this place on the map. And then you just go red train line to blue train line to wherever to wherever. It yep. must have been super intimidating without like just having Google and portable Wi-Fi and all those kind of things. Yeah, it was very different back in 2012, and I was relying on the other foreigners that were wrestling and training at Zero One at the time that had more experience there. So whatever they told me, that's what I went by. Coming back to the country several years later, I then realized, oh, they took me the longest, hardest, most difficult ways, but that's obviously the way that they got comfortable with initially, so they went, no, the way I know, that's what I'm going to stick to kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I, I feel like the public transport system, especially in Japan, is quite similar to what it's like in most states here in Australia. Mm-hmm. So it's not hard to, like, work out. Even if you've caught the subway in New York, it's very similar to that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's English all over the stuff. So it's pretty easy to, like, work it out for yourself, especially now. So now I'm, like, a pro at it. Now I'm, like, nope, I find the quickest lines. Like, if I have to change five times, I will. But if it takes me, like, half an hour less, that's what I'm doing. So, yeah, I'm very thankful for where we're at now in terms of, like, getting a data sim very easily and having (laughs) Wi-Fi pretty much everywhere. Just walk. You can literally have it posted to your house before you even leave this country. So, like, (laughs) when you get off the plane, you just drop it in and you're good to go. The rail system in Japan is one of the most amazing things in the world just because it's so efficient and always on time and always yep. goes. It's so dishonorable if there's anything, like if anything's late. I think I heard a, a Japanese news story about this. This one, there's this one train stop that's still running because there's like one girl that catches it to school or whatever, <laughs> right? And they're like, when she graduates or whatever, we're closing the train line. Like she's the last person that catches it. And it was like late this one time and it was like a public apology from the real thing and of stuff course. like that. They're, they're just so amazing, man, and everything they do is 100%, and I assume it's no different for you uh, being part of uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling. I'm sure like everybody attacks everything with uh, 100% effort, right? Yeah, it's very efficient, like the most efficient company that I've ever worked for. Um, I can only imagine that you know, other places of the same sort of scale would be quite similar. Mm-hmm. But having that that Japanese style of discipline um, culturally obviously makes them, like, so much more like, nope, this is how it is. Um, very little changes from show to show in the terms of, like, how it all operates and works. So you kind of, like, even if you're going to a different town or it took two hours longer to get to the next one, you have a gauge of how the day is going to go. Like, you know what your schedule is, even without knowing what your schedule is. Um, yeah, super, super efficient. Um constantly grateful that I work for them because I, I really don't have to stress. It's just get over there, 
settle in, and then just get ready for it. And I'm I'm pretty like the sniper of the skies is not just a nickname; it's also like a motto for me. And like pinpoint accuracy is something that I hone on in on on my day to day life. So like looking up my schedule ahead of time, even if I haven't been forwardly told it, like I'll find whatever they've posted online and be like, okay, I'm pretty sure this is what I'm doing and this is where I'll be going and this will be my times. So I have an idea of like what my days are going to be like because I just like to be pre-planned like that yeah. um, rather than go into each day kind of like, oh, well, we'll see what happens tomorrow because yeah. uh, that that's when stressful. I won't wake up in time for the bus and then I'll be you know, disciplined and I don't want to do that. I don't <laughs> want to do squats. Is that what happens if uh, if uh, you end up a bit late, if you've been uh, – You've been out, uh, been a little bit wild, and then you rock up late. There's uh, there's discipline training. Oh, it's more just like you'll you'll cop some flack from the other people on the bus because if right. we if we're leaving at ten, everyone wants to leave at ten. We don't want to leave at ten o five or ten ten. Yeah. So it's it's like like we've already discussed the discipline over there. You know what I mean? And like yeah. when the company's majority Japanese. Yeah. And then the foreigners are a smaller percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're outweighed in numbers. So if if we're being a a bakugaijin, yeah, as yeah. you as you hear on the Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift. Uh-huh. Um, Great movie. Yeah, if we if we do that, then it's kind of just it looks bad on us. So yeah. we just we get there early, we do the best we can. And look, there's definitely been times where you mentioned earlier that you know I toured for the wrestling, you toured for the drinking. I've definitely toured for the drinking whilst wrestling, which is not the smart option. And I've like shit, 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 packed my stuff real quick in the morning and like raced to the bus and then worked out. Oh, thank Christ! I'm not the last one on the bus, so yeah. I'm not going to cop any of that flack. But yeah, besides that, it's pretty much you just don't want to make anyone angry. You don't want to be the center of attention in that way. No, and one thing about the Japanese culture is as well, like you don't want to disappoint them. Like everything, everybody is so polite. Everybody's so genuine. Like I buy a drink or a fam chicky or something at a service station, and like I've never been more polite in my life. You know, everybody's bowing, like, you know what I mean? And you you want to show them that same respect in everything you do. It just, it, it breeds it, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, the respect culture over there is so important and it's, it's not hard to do. Like, if you're a good person, it's pretty easy to just, like, do what you would normally do anywhere else and then, you know, you just say the right words and do it the right way and just, just be polite. Like, yeah. because... You know, especially being in a country where maybe you don't speak the language at all, or if not a lot, um, the more polite you are, the more help you're going to get. Yeah, and, and uh, they're very forgiving yeah. of that too. And to be honest, you're kind of a novelty as well um, to to most people and stuff. And so if you're, you know, very uh, bowy and uh, uh, sorry and stuff, like they would know more English than we would ever know Japanese, you know. So like 90% of the time, even in really regional towns where they know nothing like i think some of my funnest interactions come where neither of us speak the same language but we just get through it like together and you're kind of both chuckling and you're figuring it out and they're, they're so helpful you know yeah i've been there pointing to menus and being like this one this? and they're just like <laughs> and i'm like oh they're laughing i don't know if that's good but uh, i'm not gonna say anything just just, just give me that one um please my, thank you all right let's go my mate tells a hilarious story he he went before i ever did and it, he had this running joke that he's like everything i get seafood i hate seafood but no matter what i order seafood 
and they went to this they went to this bar and he's like they had burgers he's like oh finally a burger he's like i'm just going to get like a chicken burger he's like yes and everybody gets a someone gets a pasta or whatever and he's like i've got this chicken burger and it looks like a big patty and stuff he's like i want this one and then he bites into it and it's just a giant patty of prawn yep <laughs> and he just threw Deceiving. it down and walked out he just couldn't win yeah, I don't. I think if you're not a seafood person, like by any means of the world, Japan's probably not the safest country to go for in terms of eating. Yeah, exactly. You've got to you've got to at least have Google Translate on your phone to figure it yeah. out and kind of what avoid. a savior that is. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. So, talking about respect, how does it feel? Robbie Eagles debuts for New Japan Pro Wrestling. His first match is a tag. It's against the legend Jushin Thunder Liger. And you tap him out. How does that feel? And then how does that go with your relationship with him? That's crazy, right? Like, just look at what we talked about earlier. Yeah. Him versus Hayabusa was the yeah. opening of the door to Japanese wrestling for me, realistically. So to have that, I remember when, like, okay, everything was set up. I was doing that first tour, and I knew before everyone else, of course. Yeah. And then it got announced that I was coming, like, a show before. And then the internet kind of went crazy for me for a little bit especially locally, everyone was like, holy crap, that's amazing for Robbie. And then they posted the like the tour dates and the matches, and people went nuts when they saw that match, me and Ishimori versus uh, Tiger Mask and, and Liger. And people were like, that's your first match? Like, what a way to start a tournament. Like, that's, yeah. that's unreal. Um, yeah, I, I was shitting it because I felt like I had the whole of Australia watching me that night as well because they were like all right don't fuck this up Robbie. <laughs> well, you did so <laughs> um, no and i did okay but there's definitely like watching it back you could you could see the nerves uh on me in the ring so if you if, you might have to put it up like 0.5 of the speed to really pick up on it but like um for me i watch it back and i'm like oh look how nervous this kid is but yeah to tap him out in such style too like to show exactly what i'm capable of in that first match and to tap the legend out Really incredible feeling. Um, obviously, there was a lot of, you know, dissentment because I was part of Bullet Club at the time, so we weren't on speaking terms. But after I made the switch to Chaos uh, in 2019, uh, me and Liger just started developing a bit more of a relationship in the locker room and then, uh, you know, being being able to team with him in his last ever appearance in Ring in Australia, uh, that was almost like the full circle for me. Like, like let's just think about just within this interview, Raf, like... I watched him, then I beat him, then I got to team with him in my home city. Like, it's... Yeah. My relationship with Liger is really special, even if he doesn't really realise it. But he was... When he hugged me in the ring at the end of that match in Sydney, he was just saying thank you to me, and I thought that was incredible because I had to say thank you to him ten times more because he basically shaped my career. Wow. What, what a moment, man. That must have just been literally amazing and you'd be like standing outside yourself going wow like as a as a kid like i can't believe i worked hard and took it to this point right like that yeah in my, in my, one of those moments where you look back at all the hard work and all the grind and stuff just like dude i made it like <laughs> like that's killer that that whole period of a couple of months around that show because like um uh, after that, Wrestle Kingdom came around the corner, and that was the first time I was part of the Tokyo Dome events. Mm -hmm. So it was a really like special time for me in my wrestling career, and to have 
that show basically sold out a packed factory theatre. People had come from all parts of Australia to watch it because it was their only opportunity to see Liger if they weren't going to Wrestle Kingdom themselves, you know, and everyone was already devastated that he was going to retire. Um, and, like, there's there's a photo a friend of mine took from the back of the room that has us posing post-match in victory. Yeah. And I look at that occasionally and I'm just like, man, that's so special. Like, I'm definitely going to get it framed or something because it's – it's really unique and something that not many people could say that they got the opportunity to do, like in their home country too, you know what yeah. I mean? Um, but going back to being a WCW kid, Liger obviously did tours with WCW. Yeah. So the friends of mine that introduced me to WCW initially, they'll see photos of me with Liger and be like, wait, is that the guy that we used to watch on Nitro? Yeah. And I'm like, yes, like it's the same dude. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's such a special bond that I – then form with other people just because of that moment. Um, in- incredible. Uh, I'm, I'm fortunate. I'm grateful. I'm all these things. I, I'm just very lucky. Uh, I, I thank, I thank the stars, the heavens, whatever it is that's shining on me in my wrestling career for every opportunity I get like this. Because sometimes I have to slap myself a bunch and pinch myself and be like, "Is this a freaking dream?" And I'm still waiting to like one day suddenly wake up and go, "No!" And I'm still like ten years old. Yeah, I've yeah, just been yeah. dreaming this whole time. Well, but, if you um, do wake up when you're 10 years old, you're like, okay, I know what I need to do. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, man, I'm not looking forward to all the grinding that I've got to do all over again, but, you know, I'll, I'll get through it. Well, dude, in those moments, remember, you've also got to thank yourself as well because that it's not an easy road, the one you've walked. And I know, like, physical toll, mental toll, financial toll, all those things couldn't be easy. So the grind itself, like, to get there is... Like, I guess it makes it all the sweeter, right? Like when you've put in the the hard work on anything you do, and so yeah, I, I think I think you can pat yourself on the back a little bit as well. And feel, I, I definitely <laughs> will. I yeah, definitely will. Exactly right. Well, um, that seems like a good time talking about Australia. It seems probably pretty pertinent to to touch on the uh, Southern Showdown Australian tours. I was at like both of those shows, man. The the Melbourne and Sydney show. Most people would talk about the the festival hall show, the the match with Osprey um, was really really amazing, and I would encourage anybody to check that out. It was an absolute banger. But for me, the Roundhouse in Sydney, being that that's uh, you know you're in New South Wales, and also the the jump to chaos was was something really cool. Like for both shows. I enjoyed both heaps. You're, you're with Bullet Club, you're versing Okada, uh, Will Ospreay and Tanahashi, and you're with Bad Luck Farley and Jay White, right? And then um, basically the the big turn comes and you have enough of uh, Bullet Club. And I just thought it was an amazing moment that like was so cool that it played out in Australia. Like, How did all that feel, man? Because I, I saw you there standing in the ring and you're next, like talk about standing with Liger, you're next to Okada, you're next to Tanahashi, you're next to future legend will osprey like it must have been pretty wild like what a way to be accepted into chaos and that faction man that night is still so special to me um obviously a lot of changes uh there's a lot of disgruntled bullet club fans because one of my brand new bullet club t-shirts was released that weekend and then obviously was bullet club man Limited edition, you had to be there to get it. And, uh, you know, I had a lot of messages saying, God damn you, Robbie, for leaving the Bullet Club. And I was like, hey, I didn't plan it. It just happened. Yeah. I'm sorry my shirts only came out this weekend. (laughs) But um, digressing from that. I love it. The Roundhouse is special enough in itself because, um, you know, I know you've got background in music. Prior to me being in professional wrestling and still somewhat 
during this time, um, I was a gig goer as a younger as a younger gent, and I went to the Roundhouse so many times to watch some of my favorite acts. Like I saw bands like Atreyu, Taking Back Sunday. Um, uh, you know, even local people like the Getaway Plan. That's where I discovered them, um, which is amazing to me because I was really into their music for a, a long period of time. Uh, so the Roundhouse was always something I looked at. Like, man, if I got to wrestle here, and uh, it was it was special to watch back because uh, Concrete Davidson, who's a part of of PWA in the local scene here, was on commentary with Don Marnell for that New Japan event at the Roundhouse, and. Concrete mentions that I was front row for the second ever international assault run by World Series Wrestling, which was headlined by Brian Danielson versus Nigel McGuinness. Because I was such a like a fan of independent wrestling, when all these guys came out into Australia, I was like, of course I'm there, of course I'm front row, all that sort of stuff. So then he talks about, you know, in 2007, Robbie Eagles was here in the front row, and now in 2019, Robbie Eagles is looking at the front row from the ring Super incredible moment. Uh, I could literally look out to the crowd and I saw people from PWA. I saw people from other parts of Australia that I knew through the industry. I saw friends that I went to high school with in the crowd. I saw my family in the crowd. Really, really special and touching moment. And then just to cap it off with like, you know, I really didn't feel at home in the Bullet Club, especially that whole weekend. Like everyone was really pushing me to be away. And I was like, if I'm in Australia, I've got to be true to myself. So I got to show my true colors. I got to really side with the people that I had the similar beliefs in. And even just to wrestle Tanahashi and Okada and to be in that position, right? And that was my first ever main event for New Japan Pro Wrestling in Sydney at the Roundhouse. Man, um, yeah, I, I'm going to have to watch it back after we talk now and I'll probably cry my eyes out while I watch it because it was so so touching and heartwarming. Dude, it, it was killer. And, like, what what a match as well, because technically, I guess, in the same match, you wrestled against Tanahashi, Okada, and Osprey, and then you wrestled with them in the same match. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is pretty crazy. Uh, when you're standing in that ring, you're also looking at me in the front row. Uh, I don't think you can see me on the camera, though. Uh, it was also a special night for me, because when all the celebrations went on, I got a hug from Tanahashi, which was pretty amazing. Oh, awesome. <laughs> he, he bowed out of the ring. I think... I don't know for sure. Obviously, I never could. But I think he recognized me because obviously, like, I have been at a lot of shows. And in Japan, there ain't too many guys with, like, huge red beards, like, in front mm -hmm. rows and places and stuff. And he kind of pointed at me and was like, hey, kind of thing. And I was like, hello. And then he jumped out of the ring and ran over and just gave me, like, the biggest hug ever. And this was just not long before all the quarantine stuff happened. So I like to think I was the last person he hugged in a crowd so <laughs> before he had to do the air hug thing so i'm pretty happy about that <laughs> that's very special man yeah. yeah like i think even just like the the vibe and feeling that we got from like the guys like tanahashi and okada like just think about them on the mic after um you Dude. know okada doing the aussie 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 so like, funny man like he's so charming and funny and then welcoming you in there and like all four of you together like dude it was killer yeah yeah. It was so killer. I'm going to show you a photo real quick and I'll put it on my Twitter later uh, because I don't have a photo of me hugging Tanahashi. So my friend Momo drew this, which is pretty funny. I don't know if you can see. 
Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll put, I'll put it on the Instagram, but it's like a workout photo of Tanahashi, uh, like putting out his pecs like he does. And my friend Momo just sketched me into it, giving him a hug. And so that's the only photo I have of it, which is really funny and also quite creepy. <laughs> but it, uh, hey, I thought you'd get a laugh out of it. It's in, it's cool. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, they were literally killer, man. And then after that, it comes. We come around to Wrestle Kingdom fourteen. Uh, you are on night two uh, in the in the the awesome gauntlet. I always love the um, never open weight. You know trios gauntlets. You get a you get a pinfall over Yoshinobu Kanemaru, and that's in the Tokyo Dome, man. How's that one, dude? <laughs> like, just talk about like. Everything we've talked about, and that's all prior to this, right? Yeah. Like, man, um, it was really cool because I got to bring my wife along uh, to Tokyo Dome for that. that she period. she ever been to Japan before? Uh, we we did a honeymoon there in 2018. Oh, so, amazing! Yeah. yeah, so she loved it during that, and so she was dying to get back. But yeah. like, obviously, with my touring, it was kind of difficult to bring her over for any particular time. So we went, hey, let's let's go early, and we'll spend New Year's in in Tokyo. So like, because I'm going to have to be there at some point after January 1st anyway. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we went a couple days early. I think we got there a couple days after Christmas and just literally did some more touristy kind of stuff. But mostly it was like she liked the 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 drinking and the eating. Like she liked just the, the day-to-day sort of evening culture. Yeah. Um, and because there were so many other Aussies that we knew over there and then there was other people from other countries obviously gathering for the same sort of reason – um, we got to hang out with like really great people and, uh, yeah, she was, she was super stoked to be there and yeah, she was, um, in the dugout watching as I oh, had that awesome. match. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, so it was really cool to have her there and be a part of that. Yeah. Um, and I think most people would have looked at it and they were like, okay, the first two teams of Bullet Club, uh, having Chase, Farley and, uh, who was their third? Uh, I think it was Yujiro, if I'm not was, mistaken. Yeah. I think I think Chase and Farley were definitely on that team. I yeah. know that for sure. Yeah. Um, and then you had me, Ishii, and Yoshihashi, right? Mm. Like, and I hadn't teamed with those two either at that point. So it was just like a cool experience for me. Um, and we we beat them. And everyone was looking at it like when Farley gave me the grenade. They're like, "Oh, that's it. It's over. Like, yeah. it's done." And I had that Tokyo Dome energy. I was able to kick out, and everyone's like, "What? No one kicks out of that." that it and doesn't. Farley, it doesn't happen too often. Man. Farley was pissed, man. Like he's like this little shit. Like he's <laughs> kicking out. So we we somehow get got the victory on them, and the next rolls around is Suzuki Gun, and we're like, "All right, shit." Like here's Kanemaru, here's Desperado, here's Taichi. Tough team to beat, and uh, when I get the roll up victory on Kanemaru again, when it was looking pretty bleak for me. I was ecstatic, and I was questioning it. Like, I had my arm raised, but I'm also looking at the ref, Jeremy, and I'm like, did we win? Did we win? Did we win? And he's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I'm like, uh, uh, uh. The nervous energy inside me just being in that dome, ridiculous. And then we had to face LIJ after that. Some of the my fiercest rivals in, like, Bushi, Shingo, Evil was still a part of the group at the time. Yeah. We didn't win that one, um, but we almost went the whole way when you think about yeah. it. Because there was going only through one more two team teams, after that. is it? Yeah, going through two teams isn't a small thing, man. So uh, for my first experience in the dome, I basically had three matches. I don't yeah. think many other people could say that. Yeah, exactly. And that's another weekend tying back to Liger as well. It's his retirement weekend. You know, uh, there's big championships going on. There's everything. It's like the the two domes was 
really special events to be a part of, you know, like it, it was huge. And being in that venue as well, for anybody who hasn't been there, like the the TV doesn't really do it justice, right? Like it's a, a massive no. venue. It has this air of excitement and electricity running through the whole place. And again, the efficiency in Japan, if you're lining up at that, you're not standing in line for hours. They're like, and the doors open at five and then you're just all inside, <laughs> basically yeah. in your seat. You can get to anywhere at any time. It's like an amazing place to be. And the the walk. So I haven't. The only thing I haven't done yet, because we were part of the the pre show, is I haven't done. I haven't done the walk to the ramp. Mm. So I haven't done the the golf cart over to the ramp because it's such a trek yeah, from right. where the locker rooms is. Okay. But even just being in such a big arena in the locker room space, that's when you really get the like the the gauge of size of like how big this company is and stuff, and yeah. you go, man, this is possibly the biggest thing I'm ever gonna do. Like this is you know. Friends of mine, Billy Kay and Peyton Royce, this is probably what they feel when they go and do the big stadiums and when they do WrestleMania. Like, it's yeah. a very similar kind of experience for uh -huh. them. So it's really cool to be in that situation and go, I've gone from my locker room is the curtain that I'm walking out from at a local community hall in Whoop Whoop, Australia yeah. in front of 50, 80 people to, you know, 30,000, 40,000 people at the Tokyo Dome. I don't forget those moments. I don't forget those earlier moments. But like, it's it's a really like cool experience to think back right before I walk out from the dugout or from the ramp. It doesn't matter. But like to be at those arenas, so special. Um, you know, even if that's the only Tokyo Dome I ever do, I don't think it will be. But if it's the only one that I've that I do do, like I'm pretty happy hanging my hat on that. So. But I'm looking forward to the next one for sure. Yeah, yeah. No, there's definitely going to be a next one. I think that's pretty safe to say. The other thing is as well that like what other countries maybe wouldn't understand as well from that scope for you and Australian wrestling fans would get this and Australian wrestlers would get this. Wrestling's very small here, you know? Like we don't have those big stadium tours all the time. We don't. You know, we're not constantly having a pay-per-view every other month where everybody crams in and stuff like that. It's something we watch on TV, you know. So yeah, it, for you to to go and do something of that scale, you you're there like going, hey, you know, it's it's real. This can be big. This can be something very special and real, you know. Because I, I imagine that when anybody that's doing anything artistic, like there's always doubt creeps in, right? Like when I was in a band, when I do this thing, like whatever. Like sometimes you're just like, is it worth doing? Do I suck at this? Whatever. And then I'm sure you've had a time you're in some small show and there's a, a towel hung up in front of something, you know what I mean? A sort of like laid back kind of show and you're about to walk through and there's not many people in the crowd and you're just getting started and you're like, is this too hard to do? but you push through it because it's something that you want to do. And then again, we, we keep talking about moments of affirmation. That again is another one of those, you know, and it makes all that grind feel worthwhile. Yeah. hundred percent. I've had those moments. Mm -hmm. um, but the thing for me that I always look back at and the reason that I continue on, like I do have that thought for a second. That's kind of like, is this worth it? Like, do I just, do I commit to my day job more or do I like, you know, find a, a normal person, quote unquote career and hone in on that to make good money and fund like my eventual future family and look after myself and my wife and all that sort of stuff. But that moment only lasts so long because then I go, Hey, 
when you were six years old, you said you were going to be a pro wrestler. One way or another, you are a pro wrestler, whether there's 50 or 50,000 people. You're a pro wrestler. You're living your dream. So that 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 sets in much quicker and for longer periods of time than the is this worth it sort of mentality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I wake up every day, and again, like whether I'm going to the pro wrestling academy to train um, and teach the the next flock of Australian wrestlers, um, whether I'm going to the Tokyo Dome or whether I'm going to shows anywhere in other countries, Malaysia, the Philippines. Um, you know, the US, the UK, here in Australia, and again, the size doesn't matter. For me, I'm just like that lucky kid that gets to live his dream, and now it's it's the driving force behind how I support me and my family. Um, so that's, I'm just really lucky that that's what it is, but even before that, when it was more of a struggle and I had to have a day job and have to do these things on the side, I was still like, nah, fuck it, I'm living my dream, I'm a pro wrestler, this is awesome, so whatever it takes, I'm going to keep at it. And that's a winner's mindset, my man. So after the Wrestle Kingdom, we both hang around uh, Japan for a while. You're obviously on the Road 2 shows, uh, and we were in Japan for the entire month of January. It's been like that for the, like, the last couple of years. So we're like catching whatever shows we can and stuff. And we decided we're going to go to one of the Road 2 shows uh, at Koga City, uh, Ibaraki. And I, I'm on Twitter or whatever, that morning, we went to Shinkiba First Ring, which is an amazing venue. Have you been there? I haven't, but I've got lots of friends that have been to Shinkiba. Yeah, it's, it's such a cool little venue. It's like in a back kind of warehouse district. You walk down like from the train and stuff, and all the wrestlers have their tables out the front, and they're selling their thing. They're selling drinks out of an esky, and there's like a food truck and stuff. It's like really cool, right? So we go to this big Japan show, and then we're like, all right, we need to find our way to Koga City. As you, uh, as we've discussed, the train system makes it possible to get anywhere if you're willing to go there. You know what I mean? <laughs> about how much yeah. it is. So we're like, we'll just catch the trains and we'll just figure it out. So as I'm uh, on the train, I'm flicking through Twitter or whatever, and I see a, a, a message from you or whatever. I think you tweeted something like, on the way to the show or something. And it was just like out the bus window or something. And I tweeted you, I was like, on the way too. And it was like out the window of a train kind of thing. And you were very gracious. You were like, hey, man, like an Aussie, like if you're there, say day or whatever. And I was like, yeah, sure, dude, whatever. So we we cruise there, and uh, I'm sure my journey there was a little bit different from you, so there's multiple trades and stuff, we get there. And then we kind of get off at this station that's kind of like weird and stuff, and then we've got to like wait for a bus. And we're like, is this the bus? Because buses can be a little bit more wild in Japan than trains, you know, <laughs> yeah. as far as things go. And then we see, like, a guy in an LIJ tracksuit and stuff. We're like, we're in the right place. At least hopefully he's got a ticket as well. Kind of thing. Yeah. And then we're on the bus and we're looking at Google Maps and we're like, we may need to go here, whatever. And then he gets off the bus and we're kind of looking at where he's walking. But he's not on the same trajectory as our maps and we're like, we just got to wing this. So we like go off on our own way and we get there. We actually end up beating him there. So I guess he was like what you were saying, knew a way and just went that way. Yeah. So we go there. I see you in the rig. You give me a wave. Hey, it was like a really cool show. Um, Do you remember the specific show I'm talking about? Like, do you remember that venue? Like this be the big gymnasium or no? Oh, I remember all the gymnasiums because they're, 
they're opposite to the normal ones. They're not darkly lit. Uh-huh. So they're yes. like really lit up. So yeah. you can see everything, like especially from being in the ring, you're at a heightened position. You can see everything. Yeah. So yeah, um, before we started recording, I, I, I mentioned, I was like, were you towards the back of the room? And yeah. you were like, yeah, yeah, I was. So like I definitely remember it. Um, if I have it correctly, I'm pretty sure it would have been uh, like a, a, a an eight-man tag or a six-man tag that would have involved myself, Will, Okada... It might have even just been a six-man against Taichi, Zack, and uh, Doki. I think that's what it was, yeah. I think it was um, Okada, Robbie Eagles, and Will Ospreay defeating Suzuki-gun, Doki, Taichi, and ZSJ. Yes. That's what it was. And it was a great match, and it was a great show. When you leave, leave, I think we both had very different journeys home. So I... uh, you just have a bus pull up, right? And uh, you get on it and then they take you to wherever it next is. Yep, wherever we're staying that night or wherever the next town is. Yeah, I remember seeing you leave in that bus. So not you specifically getting on it, but we were outside trying to figure out how to go and there was no buses and no trains going and there's like so many cars and like taxis and people like pulling out and stuff and it's all crazy. And we're like, what are we like doing? We're trying to figure out how to get there. And we we see the New Japan bus pull out and we're like, Robbie, wait, kind of thing. Like, we're lost here. And so we just had to like walk back to the train station, man. It took us like two hours on foot, like at night. We just like, oh, well, I guess we've got no choice but to start drinking. So there was like a 7 Eleven nearby, picked up a couple of strong zeros and just hit the road, man. It took two hours to walk back to the train station and then an hour and a half to like cross all the way back to Shinjuku or whatever we were staying. Like at, we stayed yeah. at the APA in Shinjuku in the kind of main arcade area at that time. But it was like cold and we're just like, it's a farm town, guys. It wasn't like walking through Tokyo or whatever. Like we're walking along fields and like, yeah. like all this stuff and like local towns and stuff. And we're like, and the girl's like, Maybe message Robbie and tell him to come back and pick us up. And I'm like, I think they're long gone. And uh, somehow I don't think uh, I don't think Ghetto's going to pull around the bus to come get us. Yeah, well, Ghetto wasn't on my bus anyway, so oh well, he wouldn't. He would be he'd be on the dastardly other bus. Exactly. <laughs> nice. Um, so yeah, after after all this, it's obviously terrible lockdown stuff, and and boring long times uh, of nothing happening. How did it feel to come back for the Super Juniors, man? It was great. It was a great feeling to be back there. Uh, the quarantine periods weren't weren't fun, but they had to be done. Yeah. Um, but once I knew that, okay, I'm going to be back, and it was all that uncertainty of when the lockdown started happening because I was supposed to be back for the anniversary show that year, but all the lockdowns caused that to get postponed or cancelled or whatever else. So then it was like, okay, well, that's not happening. Um, okay, so I'll wait till the next thing. And it was kind of month by month. I was like, okay, are things better yet? Are things better yet? And then it just, like, from the world's perspective, it looked like everything was getting worse before it was getting better. Yeah. So I was like, shit, like, what am I going to do? And then we lost the ability to, to train and wrestle in Australia because of the lockdowns. So there was a period of time where everything we were doing just to keep our mind sharp was just online. Um, you know, it was very hard to access gyms and stuff like that. So like I wasn't working out to the same routine I normally would be, but we got through it and then wrestling and training came back in Australia first. And then it was like, okay, a couple months later, now you're going to be back to Japan for super juniors. We're going to do this thing. And I was like, cool. Right. I just got super focused 
And once I got super focused, I was like, do the work, do whatever I need to do and get in there and get it done. And, uh, you know, once I realized, oh, shit, I'm the only foreigner in this tournament this yeah. year. Like, that's that's putting a spotlight on me one way or another. Like, whether I like it or not, like, I'm going to be looked at through a certain lens. I had to just be the best I could be. And I feel like I did pretty good considering the circumstances, having not been in the New Japan ring for, you know, half a year, if not more. Um having not wrestled those opponents for that period of time because I should have had, you know, more opportunities to wrestle people like Hiromu in tag matches and more opportunities to wrestle Suzuki-gun in tag matches to, like, really understand where they're at and stuff like that. Um, more opportunities to train alongside Sho as a Chaos member and know what he's going to bring out of me in a tournament like that. But, uh, you know, I studied and watched what they were doing whilst I was still at home and made sure... Because, I mean, they were still in the ring, which is a huge advantage, right? Yeah, 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 correct. Um, So that's why I tried to, when we could train out of Australia, um, I tried to, you know, train as often as I could in the ring and I took as many matches as I could through PWA, even if they were in closed set formats or whatever it may be, just to stay in ring shape and make sure that I could still go. Um, Being back there and, you know experiencing the change of the audience. Like, obviously, the venues are at half capacity. Um, People aren't allowed to make noise. They can only clap. It was a very different environment. Um, And it was like... It it was like a shock to my system when, like, I knew or I thought I knew what to expect out of this. But then I got in the ring for the first time in the Super Juniors and, like, did something and then only got the clap as a reaction. And I was like, oh, this is really different. I'm going to have to adjust to that. I'm going to have to, like, work out how I normally pull myself up when, like, there's normally a gasp or a cheer or, like, a a bit more roar from the audience in certain aspects. Like, I'm not getting that anymore. Um, So it's just a shift and an adjustment that I had to make after the first night and then just kick on and press on and, you know, um, it slipped through my fingers in 2020. But, you know, the next time Super Juniors runs, I'm definitely going to be making sure that I get more points than I did last year. Absolutely. It's all experience. And I feel like you made the most of it too. You got to work with some different opponents that, like you said, you didn't have as much experience with. You got to – you beat some people who were not slouches at all, Doki, Sho, Taguchi, who's a legend, you know. like These aren't small wins. And and I feel like you started to adapt to the clap crowds as well, like doing the Robbie, Robbie, Robbie chant, but as a clap and getting into it and stuff um, was really cool. And that, again, set you apart from that. But how does it feel, man, like – COVID got pretty, like, scary, right? Like, so you're locked down. Even going to the shops is pretty stressful. I know you would have been super excited to go back to Japan, but you're literally about to leave your wife, get on a plane and go to the, you know, the other side of the world, quarantine and do all that to do this tournament. But there's still the chances of additional lockdowns, of being trapped there, of of all these kind of things. It must have been a little bit nerve-wracking and a, a big decision to make. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're not wrong. Um, it, it definitely was nerve-wracking kind of going, hey, this global crisis is happening and, uh, you know, I'm travelling away from my wife, away from my family, away from my comfort of my home. Um, but we, we looked into it and we were like, hey, look, my schedule is to be there a couple of months. But if it turns out that I get locked down and I need to be there longer, then that's what it is. And we, we both, me and my wife, both kind of like, knew that that was a possibility. We even went into it and said, like, hey, like, if you need to, 
ask to stay there for six months, a year, whatever it takes. Like we're strong enough that we'll get through that yeah. sort of thing. Um, and I've got a great support system here at home with my family and her family. And I knew that they would they would get behind her if that was the situation, if need be yeah. as well. And she's got some great friends too. And, you know, I've got great friends in the industry that would look after both of us. So, um, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't like a concern. It was just kind of like, again, that uncertainty of yeah. like, is that going to happen? Like I liked, as I mentioned earlier, I like to be someone that plans and like kind of knows what's coming for the yeah. next day and the next week and the next month and not knowing what was going to happen within those, you know, days, weeks, months. Uh, was super hard, yeah. but day by day it was kind of like, okay, it's looking like it's going to be this. It's looking like it's going to be this. And then when we got to the end of the tour and it was like, okay, I'm, I'm going home, then it was just like, okay, I'm going home. It's, it's sad that I'm not going to be a part of the next tour or continue on to do matches, but they don't need me here right now. So that's fine. I get to rest, recover, and strengthen my body again. Um, so it's actually benefit for me as a pro wrestler to do that. Um, but then going through the quarantine, coming back, was really rough. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Did you have to do full two weeks quarantine in Japan when you went there as well? Yes, yeah. yeah. So okay. there's still two week quarantine when we get to Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a little easier and it's a little um, more more comfortable yeah. than the quarantine here is. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it was still it was still kind of restricted in terms of like what you couldn't couldn't do. Yeah, no, that's cool. And I suppose as well, like if you did get locked down there, like you say, a you've got work new japan uh is there which is amazing plus there's worse places to get trapped in the world like japan's my favorite place like i kind of wish i got locked there in january when it all went down <laughs> like, yeah, uh, yeah that would be amazing saying, like yeah it would literally be amazing but not easy to be apart from family and stuff but yeah a calculated risk and at least you're locked like where you're you know the work that you want to be doing is which is a positive correct yeah, yeah. yeah exactly right Okay, well, that that brings me then to today's event. Now, I was actually hoping to see this event before I spoke to you, but I kind of stuffed up the times. In my mind, this match was happening yesterday because I guess I was looking at, like, the American date. So, Deathmatch Down Under happens today, well, goes live today. You have a match with Dunkzilla Mark Davis. I have been told uh, by sources that were at the event that this was a match to behold yeah did you have a, a good time working with the great folks over there yeah deathmatch were really cool um i have a long history with joel mm-hmm. who's one of the forefronts of deathmatch down under mm-hmm. so having that relationship with joel uh for a long number of years just made it easy to kind of set it up and make it happen um of course you don't hear deathmatch and think robbie eagles straight away so luckily enough, we weren't in one of the death matches. We were part of the uh, the pure wrestling side of things. And a match with Davis was really important because uh, before he had moved to the UK, I was the last match that he had in Australia in 2017. So there was a lot of history, yeah. um, even if it was unbeknownst to the death match down under audience that night or the people potentially watching on IWTV today. Um, but yeah, he, he beat me in Brisbane in his hometown and that was like a farewell send off for him. And he had had a couple of matches in other States leading up to that kind of big farewell. Um, for us to have this opportunity to wrestle in Melbourne where we had teamed previously, we had wrestled each other previously in the state of Victoria. So it was, it was really special for that to be, he was because he wrestled the night before against rat daddy at wrestle rampage. It was his second ever singles match in something like 18 months because he had taken a pretty bad injury yeah, uh, 
during his time in PWG uh, in 2019. So lots of things coming together to make this special, and we're, we're really good mates, and we always have been, and we've been training partners, we've been tag team partners, we've been opponents. So, yeah, it was, um, it was special to be a part of that, to be a part of the second-ever event for Deathmatch Down Under, um, and to be in Victoria again because I hadn't been there since 2019, and Victoria's kind of like a home away from home for me in terms of being in the ring. Um, I kind of, as much as I made myself in Sydney in my or in New South Wales, my home state, I also made myself in Victoria at, at places like MCW. And the fans there have almost backed me as much as the New South Wales side. And if you think about what we spoke about earlier, me versus Will Ospreay took place in Festival Hall, yeah. which is kind of like the spiritual home of Australian wrestling, but it's in Victoria. And to have all the people on that night versus Will um, come behind me so like willingly and like as a group, like I don't forget those moments. So every time I, I get to be in that state in Melbourne specifically. And that venue that I wrestled Dunkzilla for Deathmatch Down Under is the same venue that myself, Adam Brooks, and Will Ospreay had our three-way back in 2017, which really built me and Adam Brooks's careers from then on out. Like, because we had our individual singles matches with Will, and then we all came together to make this just massive triple threat, like craziness that everyone was like, "What the fuck is that?" Um, yeah, it was it was cool. The match with Davis was unreal. Um, I still feel the hits that he gave me in that match now because somehow he was always strong. He's a big He's boy, gotten man. stronger and he's become more of a wild man since his time in the UK. And like, I guess that friendship, that budding rivalry that you have between mates, um, as you grow and get stronger as wrestlers, it then means that like for me, I'm thinking, oh, he hits the same as he did in 2017. No. Nope, he, he hits 10 times harder now. So I had to like adjust to that very quickly. And there's there's times if you watch it when it does debut on OWTV, uh, I'm writhing in pain and the sounds I make are like the gurgling sounds of someone that should be in a hospital bed. So it's uh, pretty traumatic. Oh, dude. I'm sure though that he's thinking the same about you. Like, was he always this fast? Did it always <laughs> strike like this? You know? It's I hope so. Because you guys so. develop exactly right. Well, we won't spoil what happens. We haven't watched it. I'm going to watch it today actually. Um, but yeah, I'm super excited to see it. I've been loving like the work that they've been doing. And when... When I saw you announce was when I literally was like, I've got to, got to reach out to him. This is a perfect time to speak to him. You'd always been uh, somebody on my list, obviously. Uh, but I was like, what a great time because it's something, you know, relevant. And also you're here in Australia at the moment, which is pretty great timing. Yeah, definitely got to take that opportunity whilst I'm still <laughs> Exactly right. Grab you while I can before you're off gallivanting the world. You mentioned the three-way with uh, Will Ospreay and Adam Brooks. Which brings me to Will Ospreay's current status, and and obviously your your position within that. So it must be kind of weird for you. You were you debuted with Bullet Club, and Will was doing his best as a friend to show you, you know, the right way and and trying to to help you, you know, navigate those waters. You take his advice and you take his offer of friendship and and join Chaos, and then he changes it up again, and you must be left sitting on the other side of the world being like, what's up with that? Yeah. Um, this question's come up a lot and a lot of people have kind of wanted Not to surprising. know my stance on it. Yeah. But to be honest, like Will and I, we, we formed the Birds of Prey when I joined Chaos mm -hmm. and we were in the junior tag division, right? Like, cause Will was still a junior heavyweight. When he 
made the shift in January 2020 to be a full-time heavyweight competitor, and he won the Rev Pro British title off Zack Sabre in 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 England. Um, that was pretty much us separating as a as a unit, as just the two of us. We were still in chaos at the time, of course, and we're still friends, but. Um, Will was really putting himself on his own path and that was him kind of like tapping me on the shoulder and being like, go, you do your thing in the junior division now. You don't have me to worry about as like a guy that's won the belt before. You don't have that on your back. You can go win the tag belts, win the singles belt, whatever you need to do. And it wasn't like he gave me permission. He was just saying like, now you've got to go for it. Like you don't have to compete with me anymore. Yeah, like the, the slot to be the ace of chaos is open for the taking, really. It just I, I think somewhere so. to step yeah. up. Yeah. Whether he, he did that formally or informally, like that's yeah. basically the position that we've fallen into. Yeah. Um, but yeah, since then, like obviously we weren't in touch as much because he was focused on his goal, I was focused on mine. And then when the the pandemic shut everything down, he then went back to England for a little bit and got locked out of Japan and then had to like make his way back. So there was a lot of like factors going into like what had happened. And I can only imagine the state of mind that he was in being like trapped in England and then having to go like make the hard journey back to Japan. And I'm sure coming out of the UK was more difficult than me coming out of Australia in terms of restrictions and stuff like that. So I can see where he's coming from for his motivation and what, happened and transpired between him and Okada because his number one goal has been to be the number one guy, to be the best. And that's what I saw behind the actions. If I had the same goal and aspiration, would I have done the same thing? Probably not because that's not my my way of going about things. But it's not just I disagree with him because I understand what he was trying to do. Um, but if we looked at it from my perspective, it's just not what I would have done. It's not my internal instinct to go that way. Um, I don't resent him for it, uh, but I don't agree with it. So that's kind of my stance on things now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, it's it must be hard too. You're watching two friends fight, but you're not in either of their shoes. You're not a part of every conversation they've ever had. You haven't seen sidelong looks. You haven't, you know, those kind of things. So it, it must be like, you know, brothers fight, fight, friends fight. You're like, look, it's kind of got nothing to do with me. I have to walk my own road and do I agree? No, but I just need to do my own thing and see where it takes me. You know, at the end of the day, wrestling's a solo sport, right? Like you're there to be the best that you can be. Exactly, exactly. When our tag team ended, that was us going on our solo paths. Yeah. So I can't, you know, get all angsty and angry and be like, why would you do that? You shouldn't have done that because he's on his own path now and yeah. so am I. So I'm kind of like derailing myself by focusing on that because even if I made, made headway on like convincing Will that that was a, a, a mistake and he shouldn't have done that, it's almost like, uh, you know, detrimental to my career and my path because it's not something that's going to benefit me in the long run. Mm. So, um yeah, I just got to focus on myself and, you know, there'll, there'll be a time that comes where Will and I will cross paths in the locker room and then we'll get to kind of maybe nut it out and work out exactly where he's at and where we're at. And then, you know, the next thing will be, do we end up facing across each other in the ring sometime in a tag, in a singles, whatever it may be. And that will be, okay, like what's our relationship at? Because when push comes to shove and like I kind of mentioned with Davis, like obviously we're hitting each other hard, but we have that respect because we went into it, shook hands, we left it, we shook hands. Does that same thing happen with Will? I don't know because I don't really know the headspace he's in right now, especially coming off, uh, you know, the loss at Wrestle Kingdom. Um, I don't think, you know, 
and the trajectory he's on now, he's so focused on that New Japan Cup, like we saw last night, that he advanced one step further. Mm-hmm. He wants to be the best, and winning the New Japan Cup is one step closer to him achieving that. So, you know, I'm not going to get in his way, um, but at the same time, if it, if, if it comes to us being head-to-head, then something's going to have to give. Yeah, exactly right. Then you've got to worry about number one. So yep. what is it next for Robbie Eagles then? Uh, do you have uh, an immediate focus, uh, any plans to return to Japan, or you just got to wait and see how this all shakes out? It's just wait and see. Yep. Just wait and see at the moment. Um, otherwise, I would have been there in a heartbeat, yep. uh, especially with, uh, you know, the, the things that happened with, with Hiromi's injury. Um, you know, that was upsetting to see. Yeah. Uh, I definitely wanted to be a part of the title picture as much as possible because I, I feel like, you know, looking back at my match with Hiromu from the best of the super juniors, I really took it to him. Yeah. And we went close to the time limit. So that shows that I wasn't someone that was easily defeated by the eventual champion. Mm-hmm. Um, Desperado now being the champion, having been in the finals of that super juniors. And again, you look at the match that I had with him, I really took it to him. Um, so I've already like exchanged some words on Twitter with Desperado saying, you know, like congratulations, but I can't wait to fight you. And he's already kind of extended the olive branch saying, you know, hopefully the next time I'm defending this belt against you. So that's a match I want to make happen. Um, I might have to work my way up the ranks and get some wins to uh, deserve that title match in the, in the matchmaker's eyes, but whatever it takes, that's what I'm going to do. Um, singles championship is definitely what I want to aspire for. However, the junior tag titles have always eluded me as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I've proved that I could pin Kanemaru mm-hmm. and him and Desperado are the champions. So I just got to find a partner. So whether it's, you know, alongside someone like Sho or Rocky Romero, who are both still a part of Chaos, mm-hmm. uh, gladly team with either of those two because we actually have done it slightly before. Um, but we have to get our reps in to be worthwhile contenders as tag teams. Maybe I have to bring someone else in. Uh, from Australia to be a tag team partner as part of the junior division. I don't know. Like, that's definitely an aspiration to bring more Aussies into the company. Um, but there's only so many spots that can be filled, you know. And, like, with the pandemic, it's not as easy to get someone new over. So uh, my, my goal right now, sole focus, singles competition, I want the IWGP junior heavyweight title. Um, and the next time that there's a tournament consisting of the junior heavyweights, I want to get more points than I did last year because I feel like I should have done better but maybe it was that lack of preparation. Maybe it was that lack of ring time. So now that I'm able to get my reps in and I've been wrestling all over Australia um, since it's been back open, you know, I'm going to be more than ready for the next one. Yep, exactly. The Sniper of the Skies will be aimed in. Man, thank you so much for your time. Like, I can't even tell you how much it means to me that you made this happen. Really awesome. If your entire career has shown anything, it's that anything that Robbie Eagles puts his mind to is going to happen. So I think that before long, the tapestry that is your career is going to keep weaving together and you're going to get to that exact goal that you're looking for right now, man. Oh, thank you so much. Those words really mean a lot. Um, and I hope, I hope, I hope everything that I've put forward, everything I've put out into the universe happens the way I want to or one way or another. I mean, um, I don't want to take any easy way out. I don't want to take any shortcuts because I've been grinding this long, so I'm happy to grind a little bit longer to get what I deserve, but I know I deserve these things. So you're going to see Robbie Eagles with championship gold sooner rather than later. Absolutely, man. I feel like if not for the world ending for a while there, we probably would have already seen it. So you can take the time, you can reload and come back even more dangerous than ever before. 
Oh, I like that. I like that. I like the I like the term of reload. That's so that's so on the on the head with the sniper format. So thank you so much. I'm gonna. <laughs> that's what I was trying to come up with originally. <laughs> hey, you you take it, man. Whatever you need. <laughs> and if you ever need anything from me, if you ever need a platform, if you ever wanna. Uh, get anything off your chest or whatever, all you need to do is say the word and you have an open invitation to Faces and Field. Oh, thank you so much, man. It's been great to be on here and I really appreciate you taking the time out to uh, have a chin rub with me for a little bit. Yeah, nah, absolutely awesome. Where do people find you on social media, my dude? Uh, at Robbie Eagles underscore on Twitter and Instagram and uh, I think it's facebook.com slash Robbie Eagles NJPW on the Facebook. Nice. And do you have a little merch store that people need to know about? Yes, you can find me on Pro Wrestling Tees and Wrestler Merch. Just search Robbie Eagles on those websites and you can also go to headshotfightteam.bigcartel.com to find the very little amounts of stock I still have. And please, 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 I have one size small of one of my T-shirts that I've been trying to throw away for multiple years now. I need to get rid of it. It's one left. It's in black. Everyone loves black. If you're a size small, come find me. And we'll do a deal because I just need to get it out of my out of my house. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's like the, the piece of inventory that just keeps hanging around. It used to be like that for the band shirts as well. You're like, why is this one, <laughs> one shirt still here in this old design? And it's Dude, a banger design. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It just needs uh, in the Venn diagram of person and shirt needs to come together so it can leave. Yes. Give it a home, people. All right. Thank you so much uh, for Robbie Eagles and for Faces and Feels. Remember. It's all about peace, love, and pro wrestling. Peace out, Robbie. Peace. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been Faces and Feels. Check us out on social media, at Faces Feels Cast on Instagram, at Faces Feels Cast on Twitter, or send us an email to facesandfeels at gmail.com. Until then, peace out.